Keep tugging at our heels, watch us high step and be a highlight reel of how high we get. The ghost riders off the ramp, how we live defies death. Put our conscience in the genre box, stamp a certified fresh. Bad boys beyond G-Depths, you couldn't fathom what we plan to do next. Turn the music on his head, power bomb a suplex. Welcome to the Free Range Basketball Podcast. I am Kyle McEwen. You can find me on Twitter at RotoKyleNBA. And today I'm joined by Derek Gossard. Is it Gossard? Yeah, perfect. I, no, I said it right. Thank you, brother. Do people actually mess it up? Uh, all the time. What do they call you? Gassard. Gassard. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know how you'd mess that one up. Uh, <laughs> you can find Derek Gossard at uh, Twitter dgoss30. I bring now. I'm I'm totally messing up this intro, but here we go. I bring guests on the Free Range Basketball Podcast, and we find a common ground in our love of basketball before having more conversation about politics and religion. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing the podcast wherever you listen to or watch it. And if you'd like to be an official producer of the show, you can send in support through PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App at Kyle McEwen 16 You can also subscribe and on Patreon at patreon.com slash FRB. That's a, you know an acronym for free range basketball, which uh, anyways... For anyone that rates, reviews, or contributes as a producer of the show, I'll give you a shout-out, and I'll teach you how to sharpen your knives by hand. All right, let's get into the show. Derek, is there anything else you think people should know about you, or anything else? Is there anything you think people should know about you before we get into talking about basketball, politics, and religion? Um, I don't think so. I think um, I started listening to, to the Red Rock fantasy basketball with with Josh Lloyd and Matt Smith and you on there. So that's where I kind of came into the whole Kyle McEwen world. And then <laughs> just been a follower ever since. Thanks, man. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, It's always like, I appreciate you reaching out on Twitter and offering to come on the show um, as one of the first guests here. So, uh, you know, we're still just seven episodes in and um, I've been really happy with the guests, like the, the bringing on people who, you know, you said you've never been on a podcast before. And like, that's been the same for a couple of guys that have come on here and had discussions with me. And I think it's led to some good podcasts or at least, you know, fun for me. So. Yeah. And that's like, when I first listened, the first one I listened to, I was just really impressed of the the topics and the flow of the podcast. So I was like, man, that's, it's, un- it's a unique podcast. I will say that. Thanks, brother. All right, let's get into some uh, basketball talk. You're an NBA fan, but how did you come to love basketball? Was it something you discovered as a kid or as you got older, Derek? No, it was something as a a kid. I grew up as a soccer player, and then when I turned 12, I was introduced to basketball, and then I pretty much dropped every other sport and started playing when I was 12 and played throughout high school. I was able to play a little bit of college, and then – now I'm able to, I'm a coach. I help coach um, a few of the ha- local high schools and of the local college here in Phoenix. So are you guys, um, are you guys playing then right now? Um, yeah, our college team is playing. We're, we're full go, not full go, but we're still doing some uh, guidelines for the COVID, but the high schools are, are just starting and it's pretty, it's a low numbers, but they have to do a lot of the social distancing stuff to, to be able to even practice. Okay. So, I mean, is it, you're not even this, are you, are you actually touching the balls and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah, they do. So they do all of the um, symptoms and temperature and everything before anybody can even enter the gym. And so they just make sure and they keep a a record of which students are, 
have been cleared for a certain amount of time. And so then after they get through that process, it's pretty much good to go. Oh, groovy. Well, that's yeah. nice to, to hear that they built a system that people are feeling comfortable with. It sounds like, um, so we're living in Phoenix. You're, you're a Suns fan. You told me before the show started, um, I guess who are your favorite Suns players or have you, have you, you know, have you being a Suns fan for me, being a Pistons fan, I've fallen out of fandom with the Pistons because they've been bad for so long. And the Suns have been on a really frustrating stretch. Have you ever considered maybe stepping away from your fandom in some respects as a Suns fan and just being an NBA fan or, or has that kind of a paradigm happened in, in regards to your perspective of, of the Suns or are you kind of a diehard? I think I'm kind of a diehard. Um, I think it helps playing fantasy basketball because it allows you to to bring in more of the, the NBA players and you research all them. And so when the Suns are terrible, I just kind of ignore them and focus on my fantasy team and try to try to get a little bit better. Um, we, my wife and I moved to, to Idaho and then we moved back to Phoenix, but we were there for about five years. And that's where I would say, I'm like, okay, I'm done with the Suns. They're terrible. But when I came back, it kind of kicked back up. Right. Uh, well, I mean, do you live close enough to, to the arena to be able to go to games every once in a while? Yeah, we do. We're not, we're probably about 20 minutes away. So it's oh, not too bad. And then before perfect. I had a, I had a friend who worked for the sun. So he used to get us, my wife and I tickets all the time. We'd go watch, watch games all the time. So it's, it's pretty cool living in a, a city with the major sports teams. Do they get good? Do you guys, do they get good numbers down there for fans or is it kind of a half empty stadium sometimes? It's we're a very, very fair weather city. So if they're okay. doing well, it's packed. If they're not, it's empty. And that's, right. that's kind of the, the knock on Phoenix for all the sports. Well, how do you feel about this Suns roster? Uh, are you happy with things like Rubio being your, your point guard? Uh, even if he is in some ways a stopgap on the, the path to becoming a, a title contender, or do you feel like he might be good enough to just be on a team that, that ends up Get coming to that level as Booker and Aiton and the other guys develop. I like Rubio. I just like his leadership and the way he's he can control the game. Um, and the the biggest problem with the Suns last year was, in my opinion, was their backup point guard position. So just to see the difference between Rubio playing and um, Javon Carter coming in, there's a huge gap, and you see it. It's clearly seen. I don't think Rubio is a starting point guard for a contender though. But I do think from what we've had in the past, he he's good enough for a stop gap. What do you, uh, what do you want the team to do with the forward positions? Do you think that like, do you want Ubre to come back healthy and to kind of be the small forward just unchallenged? Or do you want Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson in that mix? Do you want Dario Saric in the, the power forward mix? How, how do you look at, kind of the roster right now and and think that they would be best off going forward in regards to who who they should kind of look at as the key pieces of their starting lineup. I honestly like Mikael Bridges at the three and Cam Johnson at the four to start. Um, especially in the bubble, they went with Cam at the four and it just brings so much spacing for Book to be able to, you know, penetrate the gaps and for Aiton to be able to work. Um, I think Cam Johnson I think he's going to make a big step this year. I have a lot of hopes in Cam Johnson, so I hope he doesn't fail. But I like Mikael Bridges' defense and 
Cam Johnson the way they can space the floor. And I do like Kelly Oubre, um, but I think him coming off the bench with Sarek would just be – that'd be a potent bench team to to be able to come in. But we'll see what they do. Do you uh, – now, I'm not, I'm not completely against the idea of Rubio it, it, overall. Like, I do think that in today's NBA, though, looking at the players that you guys have and the fact that – Ultimately, I think every team should be comparing themselves to the current champion with the idea that that's the team we have to beat. So if that's the team you have to beat and you're matching up against the Lakers, you've got LeBron at point guard. You've got another maybe what? uh, uh, KCP is 6'4 or 6'5. And then you got Danny Green at 6'7. You've got AD out there at nearly seven feet. And you've got another big, or even if they bring in someone off the bench, it's going to be AD shifting up to center a lot of the time. And another six, nine, six, 10 guy like Kyle Kuzma coming in often, or you're just going to have bigger guard. Like they have a big roster. So it's, it's to me, I think teams should be looking at running more lineups that would feature things like Devin Booker as the point guard, Kelly Oubre out there with Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges and, DeAndre Ayton and just kind of open up the offense a little bit more to say, you know what, if Ayton actually can show, and I'm going to ask that question to you too, in regards to whether or not you think Ayton can be somebody who grabs a rebound and brings it up the court. Um, But we know that, that Mikael Bridges can do that already. We know that Kelly Oubre can do that already. And that's not to say that they're necessarily like a, 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 a great second option as a ball handler behind Devin Booker. Um, consistently but i think the amount of ball handling and passing that those guys do have in bridges and Ubre, i think it's enough of a compliment with booker that you don't really need a traditional point guard out there like a rubio H- how do you look at all that no i completely agree and i think that's why rubio there's a lot of times where he hurts the team just because and he shot a lot better towards the end of the year but just the way he can, he doesn't shoot the ball well. And so when Booker has the ball and he's, he's a primary ball handler, you can't really give it to him to, to shoot. And that's why um, like Javon Carter playing the two next to Booker, it worked out well and campaign worked out well because they were able to play off the ball a little bit. And I think if they got a, you know, Mikel Bridges is perfect for them because he can pretty much play two through four, him and Ubre can play almost play two through four in those specific lineups. Um, so if they got another big wing that can shoot it and defend, yeah, Book can be the the ball handler for a good amount of time during the game. Right, and I mean, you know, it's funny to me though because you'll hear guys like Booker say, "Oh, essentially, come out and argue for a point guard," or the fact that the team made a point to go out and get Ricky Rubio. I understand getting a guy like Rubio from the context that. Two years ago, the team had a horrible time in Aiton's rookie season trying to get the ball into the post. Like right. it's, it seems like it should be an easy thing to do for NBA level players to throw the ball into the post to the big man. But it is a game of inches, and if you don't have the timing right, the defense is good enough that you're going to end up leading to a turnover that you shouldn't. Or, or unfortunately, like these, a lot of the players in the NBA are are, are so young that we do have to tolerate kind of sloppiness if we're if we're having the rookies and the younger guys get the get the kind of run that we would like to see them have because 
it is important to go out there, get that experience to develop. It's important to have those failures, those turnovers to develop. So, um, and I'm kind of reflecting on watching Zion Williamson highlights from yesterday uh, because that guy, like I'm having a hard time in in some respects evaluating how much of a superstar he's going to be. But that's just me uh, oversharing in in the moment. Um, I guess Aiton, do you think that he is going to be able to someday put the ball on the floor? Do you think he's shown that in any instances where he has, he brought up the ball, brought the ball up the court much for the Suns, or did he in the last year? Um, because he's, he said he would like to be able to become or to be used as a more of a Giannis type big. Yeah. I don't know if that's his game. Um, he's, he's big enough and athletic enough to do it. I just don't know if he's, going to put in the work to be able to to handle a guard pre- or you know a Giannis pressuring him full court I don't think he would have that but getting off the rebound and, and driving it down I do believe he's capable of doing that um, he could at least come into the half court and initiate the offense and kind of get it going I do believe he could do that but to to be a Giannis type player I don't I don't think he'll ever be like that okay yeah he's and uh, it's ball handling requires you to be more of a low center of gravity type person right. and and Aiton seemed to be kind of a very straight up guy which is fine right. he's a center he's protecting the rim um all right are there any other thoughts on the the sons that you would like to share whether it's a a sobering um perspective of the fact that they they went eight and oh in the bubble didn't they they did the bubble boy wild yeah i mean and I, to come in and go it propels booker to that next level and I think that he was he wanted to be in the playoffs and he showed it in the in the bubble. He might have been the best player besides Lillard, but hopefully it propels him to to take it every game, every night that he's the best player on the court and he acts that way. And Booker's what? He's still just is he twenty two or twenty three? Yeah, he's he's under twenty five, that's for sure. <laughs> um something that's been frustrating for me for for Booker for the last couple of years is like people really seem to buy into the narrative that like he wasn't as good of a player as he was simply because his team wasn't winning when it's like, are you taking into account everything else that's on that team? And yeah, you know, the, the fact that they've had to change coaches and they've changed, uh, you know, they've done so poorly in the draft in certain respects, or maybe took too much, put too much faith in getting too young of guys. I mean, Everybody loves to go for the upside and the the uh, the better overall talent, but it says something that last year James James Jones went and drafted Cam Johnson and was like, "I'm going to get this older cat, this older rookie, because he's going to be able to come in and contribute right away." And he did. Yeah, I I loved what they did last year. They traded the number four pick for Sarek, and I think it was nine, and they got Cam Johnson out of it. And I I loved it because how many times do the Suns? especially the Suns, draft a young guy who's potentially going to be great and end up as a bust. And there's four or five of them in the last six drafts where it's like, okay, let's get a guy who can – I mean, Cam Johnson's shooting and his height translates to the next level. So you at least know you have a stretch four who can shoot the ball. With, I mean, with Justin Jackson, what do you have? A guy who can run fast and jump high? Well, that's the NBA. Everybody can do that. Do you – um? I guess so. Sharich, do you think he's better off playing at that the power forward position or being just the backup center? I like him as the backup four and five, either okay. one, because um, 
they were able to feature him a little bit more on the offense and give him touches on the block. And he's he's decent on the block. He's not great, but he's pretty good on the block. And to be able to to rely on him to score with that second unit, I think it helped him, and I also think it helped the starters um, because Cam Johnson is a much better shooter than Sark. Sark can shoot it a little bit, but that spacing to be able to let on DeAndre Ayton on the block and Booker and then have Sark come off the bench and then we could just feature him in the post. I, I really like what they did. Is uh is the campaign we saw in the bubble, is that legitimate? Is Do you think campaign should be part of what the Suns are looking at? I think so. Um, I've always been a huge campaign fan, even coming out of college, but he just never has produced. But I do think the just the grit that him and Carter had off the bench was – it was impressive. And for him to be able to come in and play the way he did, um, it was very impressive for him. But I do think he should be a part of it. He's better than Elio Kobo, and they've held on to him for, you know, four years. But they did put a draft in him. But still, I mean, campaign, I think he can challenge Carter for that backup one spot and, and continue to fight to get playing time. Do you think – Either Marquise Chris or Dragon Bender speaking to guys who were drafted very high by the Suns, but who are no longer on the roster. Do you think that they either one of those guys is going to end up panning out or has a chance to pan out as at least like a rotation player or maybe even as like it would be interesting if Chris starts for the Warriors this year and we see continued growth from him and then he almost becomes like everything the Suns had hoped he was going to become with them. Yeah, I, I don't think Bender's going to get there. I just think he just wasn't that physically. He was, in the NBA, you have to be a little bit more physical and you have to be ready you know, to, to shoot the ball when you get it. And I don't think he was quite there. I do think Chris could be a very good contributor on a very good team. I mean, he is he's athletic as all get out and he, he can shoot the ball. So as a athletic four who can space it a little bit, he can be productive in the NBA. I just... It's hard for me because I obviously – I don't like the Warriors because I'm a Suns fan and they just wipe us every night. But seeing Chris go there and be even a little bit productive, it's frustrating to me because it's like how did how did the Suns miss so bad on what he is compared to what he could be? I think a lot of the times the Suns get a guy and what he could be is, is the expectations they put on him from day one. And they still have to develop. They still have to get better. And Chris is getting better. And he still could be a good contributor. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to move on or realize, too, that, like, now that we've got these other guys here in-house, or if we're bringing in new guys, you can't have the old mindsets still hanging around. Because even if Chris had hung around with the Suns last year, he might have floundered just being emotionally frustrated by the fact that he was getting – left put to the wayside behind other guys um, or spend a lot of time on the bench going to the Warriors and playing for a crappy team, but getting to play with guys like Draymond and also play in a place where you know that there's a, a good foundation. I'm sure that helped his mental aspect of, even if he was being limited at times, understanding that like, you know, he, he's just in a better place for, his own development last year. Um, I don't know if any of that made sense, but uh, is there uh, a, thanks pal. Um, 
is there anything else from the NBA that you would like to talk about? There's not a lot going on right now in regards to breaking news from the last day and a half or so. We're seeing negotiations um, in public from the NBA Players Association and Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA. Essentially, the Players Association is trying to push back on the idea of starting in late December. They want to start mid mid January, and then the NBA the NBA is coming coming back and saying, well, if you don't, if the players don't want to start until mid January, then we're not going to get a 72 game, nearly full season. We're going to get more of like a 50 game season because there's a lot going on in regards to making sure the NBA season, not this year, but in, in the second half of 2021, that they get back to the normal schedule for the NBA so that we're all clear. And also they, the NBA does not want their 2020 and 2020 they're this current season coming up. They don't want that to, to butt into the Olympics because there's a lot of players who realize that their international uh, notoriety is dependent on them playing in those Olympic uh, games. Yeah, I think, well, the question is, is two weeks. I mean, what, does uh, two weeks make a difference? I mean, I know that's going to ramp up the training camp, you know, the mini training camp that they'll have, but is two weeks that big of a deal for the players? I just don't know. Maybe they just want to push it after Christmas. I don't know what, what the purpose of the two weeks from December 22nd to January 15th, does it make that big of a difference? Yeah, no, exactly. It, when you, when you really look at that, it's, it, and I mean, this is their job. And they're only going to be doing this job for a couple of years. The fact that the players wouldn't be ardently wanting to get back as soon as possible themselves. I I get it. You want to be with your family during Christmas and things like that, but you're spending more time with your family now that you wouldn't have, you know, you would have been, you you would have already started the season or we would be starting the season, you know, right now. And um, it's just, I think a lot of the hullabaloo and the, the discussion going on in the news and the reports coming out from Woj and and uh, Chris Haynes and Mark Stein and all these different angles from the different sources they have, it's it really is just a negotiation because of the money that's been lost as a result of the the shut the shutdown and coming back and not having fans and the uh, the projection in regards to revenue without having fans in the in the uh, most of the stadiums to start the season this year, it's uh that's what we're seeing. It's just, it's, it's power plays back and forth. I do think that there's a wide berth about how this will play out, but ultimately I, I'd be a little bit surprised right now if, if the NBA doesn't start on December 22nd, like they are kind of planning. Yeah. And I hope it does because uh, I love watching all the Christmas games. Oh my so gosh. They're good for Christmas yeah. games. It's so much fun. Absolutely, dude. Um, It's, <laughs> There's sometimes where living living away from home or whatever I've, or or apart from some of my family, the Christmas games are just like, are kidding? I'm gonna order in Chinese food, and that's it. You know, the whole day is set with games. All you know, it's it's even when you don't have family, at least you got the NBA. Um, and when you are around family, it's just nice to have that stuff on in the background while you're playing board games or doing whatever, right? So exactly. And we haven't had fantasy basketball for like seven months so it's like let's get it going so we can do our draft and and have some fantasy fun that's the one the one argument i 
So I'm a little bit conflicted because there is an argument. That I do like the idea of starting in January, mid-January for fantasy basketball. So we have more time to do drafts yeah. and and to digest everything in regards to free agency a little bit um, and and the draft and where these players are going to end up and whether or not that situation is good for their skill set and their opportunity as a rookie to be productive enough for fantasy. But then if we only have 50 games instead of 72, I'm like, well, no, screw that. You know, I (laughs) maybe, you know, especially if you're paying attention early in the season, the the real fantasy heads this year, you're probably going to be able to take advantage of the guys going out and posting fake lines that just we know aren't going to play out versus also understanding certain players who are off to a slow start and the reasons why and why it would be a good idea to invest and make trades or to, you know, the whole buy low, sell high type kind of stuff. Um, And that'll be fun this year. I think, I hope it will be. And that's cool thing about the, uh, the basketball monster working over there. The, uh, the comments that Josh does on his box scores and the comments I do on my box scores, like after the game, we, it's, I think it's awesome because we're one of the coolest, more useful tools for, if you are a fantasy basketball player, because we give you like tags that say, this is a situation you want to pick up. This is, you know, a situation you want to drop stuff like that. It's a big, big ups to Ken and Josh for being kind of the, uh, the spurs to developing all the cool tools we have over there. Um, Hey Derek, do you want to talk about some uh, politics? Yeah, let's do it. Cool, brother. Um, I'm just gonna ask ask an overarching question, and then let you uh, let you go from there, and we'll kind of see how how this conversation takes itself. Uh, what's your political journey been like through your life? Did you grow up with certain values, and have they changed over time? So I used to always say that sports was my politics when I was younger, just because that's what I invested my time and resources into, and the things that I researched was sports. It wasn't necessarily politics. Um, I always wanted to be to avoid politics. I just thought it was something that old people did. But the past few years, I've really seen how it's important, how it's important to me. And now that I have four children, how it's going to affect them and their children. So it's been probably the past year, year and a half where I have invested time and resources into politics. And so that's where I'm at today. Yeah, no, as I've been really into politics and I've let myself get emotionally involved to the point of like being, I've shared this on the podcast before, but like a little bit depressed after like Bernie lost the primary or whatever in 2016. And that's not healthy to be so emotionally invested in something that you don't really have a ton of control over, or you only have limited control over. Um, But I think anybody who's lived through the last year, no matter where you live in the world, You've 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 seen plainly that our political leaders do have the power to put their put certain requirements on us that um, if you're not paying attention and you do or don't like a certain policy, like our 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 votes really do seem to matter. And I didn't I didn't always necessarily believe that, even as someone who's been uh, very passionate about politics for a long time. So, I mean, is, is, I guess that's my reflection in regards to kind of a, a renewed or deeper understanding of how our political leaders and institutions can put, you know, uh, restrictions on things or 
how political situations can lead to um, just societal changes that none of us would have seen coming. Um, is, is that kind of like, I guess I'm, I would be interested to hear what your, what is there, was there certain things that kind of led you to being more political or, or was it just the overall atmosphere of the last year and a half, two years or so? I think it's the overall atmosphere um, would be it. I think that some of the values that I had going through high school and college, um, I didn't, I wasn't a hundred percent confident in them or a hundred percent didn't know them. And now that I'm older and I know that I know for sure my values, I know for sure what I think is right. What I think is wrong has really propelled me to, to be interested in what our leaders are thinking too. Are they going to agree with me? Are they going to disagree with me? And, and I don't mean everybody has to agree with me, but am I going to be in the same page as some of these leaders? And if not, then I have the power as an American citizen to make a change or to vote for the ones that I do. So that's kind of where propelled me to really get more invested into politics. And it, for you, does that just mean being more willing to read different articles and, and more in regards to political discussion or is it watching YouTube videos? Like, how do you consume your news? Yeah, it's reading different articles. And but the hard part, the hard part today, is just every media outlet has an agenda. So it's trying to find, trying to cipher through all the agenda to find out what's actually being taught, what's actually being um, preached to our people and spoken to the people, and what these people actually believe. Um, I go work out and I'm, I run on the treadmill. And I have one news outlet on the TV and then another news outlet back next to TVs next to each other. And they're both saying the same thing about the opposite opponent. I'm like, how can that be true if you if this is going on? So you have to kind of dive through all that and get through the mess to figure out what's actually going on. Yeah, I that's that's the way I feel. I've you know, I I think most people are good. I think most people want to be trusting or most people believe that in general people are telling us the truth unfortunately when you really get into dig into and this is just my perspective when you really get into who pays people who pays news organizations or who owns news organizations you start to see that there is a convoluted air around a lot of our media in regards to the conflicts they have or the their employees have between offering news narratives versus just the truth and or you know their perspective of the truth so it's something that's helped me consume news better is i go on youtube and in addition to doing my own reading as much as possible trying to stay on Twitter way too much because that is the place where news breaks in the world. Like if you, you will see articles written about some, a topic and it'll be something that you saw on Twitter two days prior, if not a week prior. And it's just like, how is this like, like Twitter should almost be more popular than it is just because people should be using it as their, from my perspective, their, their first, um, their first connection with breaking news. And then what I like to do is I'll watch guys like Tim pool, uh, Jimmy door, um, 
people who in the past were aligned with me politically in regards to being more left, but who have come to call out the establishment, come to call out some of the hypocrisy in our media, uh, in the way that our elections have been run. Um, the, the lack of transparency in voting and the, the convolutedness of all the different voting systems in the 50 different states here in America, when you really pay attention to the primaries, man, it can be like heartbreaking to feel because you, you, you go through and you, the more you learn, the more you also feel like this is so difficult to understand or, or, or why is, why are things so illogical almost? Uh, why are we flipping a coin to see at the end of a, at the end of a, like the Iowa caucus, why are we flipping a coin to see who's going to win? I thought people came to caucus to vote for who they wanted. Shouldn't the votes be pretty clear in regard? So it's just, it's frustrating to me that you would <laughs> take a, a Republic that's supposed to be built off the, the vote and the will of the people build a system and then you're just going to be like, ah, we'll flip a coin at the end. I was like, I'm sorry, what? You're flipping a coin to decide who won the Iowa primary, the first primary, which also project the reason that why the first primary is such a big, I, big deal is because it starts to build the narrative for who the winner is going to be. People like winners and you don't want to support losers. You know, it's, it's weird, but there's a, there's a mental aspect of that. Um, and that's, that's my reflection. So, and, and look, I don't just watch. F former far lefties i'll i'll go in from time to time and i will I'll, I'll i'll find other opportunities to or if people challenge me i'll find i'll make a point to go consume more news from other paradigms whether that's far right stuff or middle of the road type stuff um one of the coolest interviews that i can that i consumed over the last couple of years was or the last year was there was an interview during the, the primary for the 2020 uh, where Andrew Yang talked to uh, some far right guy. Why the heck can I think of his name? Uh, oh, sugar plums. Uh, dark hair. Always really roots for Israel <laughs> in his post. Um, why can't I think of his name? It's not Jack Posobiec. Posobiec. That guy, I don't trust that guy at all. Got Ben Shapiro. Thank you, Ben Shapiro. Yeah. So, and I hope I didn't offend anybody by saying he always roots for Israel. He's just very pro-Israel, and I mean he says that. Like so, anyways. Um, and I have nothing against anybody of any creed, <laughs> race, or whatever. So let's be clear about that, okay? Um. So yeah, I, like. Like I don't, I don't consume a lot of Ben Shapiro stuff. But if people just followed me on Twitter, they'd probably think, "Oh, this guy with all the crap he retweets, he's far right or whatever." I'm like, not at all, man. You, I'm just trying to call balls and strikes a lot of the times on Twitter, or I'm trying to share a wide enough range of perspectives to say, like, notice how everybody's pushing their own bull crap to try to get us to believe. You know, I mean that whatever it is they want us to believe. And that that's kind of part of the learning process is consuming the lies so that you can also learn to see them more quickly. At least I think that's helped me. Yeah. And that's the, that's where I've been at is trying to, like you said, call balls and strikes in this thing and kind of figure out who you can kind of see where their agendas lie, what they, what they 
retweet or or put out and it's like okay i want to i want to get opinions from both sides and come to my own conclusion and not just be told what to think i think that's what is frustrating to me is in today's society so many people allow other people to tell them what to think and to and to kind of steer them like we're sheep just to kind of steer us where you want us to go and it's like no we have to have critical thinking and thinking for ourselves and come to the conclusions um and that's where we'll go and i just hate how divide how divided people think we are because i don't think we are either like there's i i've asked one person on this podcast through the first six episodes who they're gonna vote for because i don't care i don't care like derek i don't want to know i don't want i don't want either of us to share that because I don't think it matters. What I think matters is having conversations with people and sharing our perspectives. And then, you know, maybe one of us leads each other to a deeper truth or a better understanding, which is really what matters so that we're all informed or it's also about being willing to listen to somebody and ask somebody else questions too. It helps you talk out your own biases it helps you like there's things i'm going to end up saying on this podcast where i'm gonna look back in two years i mean i hope i do because i hope i grow i'm gonna be, oh my gosh why did he say why why did that guy say that <laughs> you know me um so that's just I, people have to be willing to be wrong too and i i think a lot of people are just they get they get so emotionally invested into what they think is right or righteous or moral and it's like make sure you're not using uh this mirage of morality in regards to something to justify being the very worst kind of person that you say you're against and i see that sometimes on social media where it's like dude you're saying that this person over here is the worst thing in the world yet you're pushing so much negativity and hatred and divisiveness and a lack of understanding or, or willingness to engage in a, an open, an open air discussion. And that to me is, is what I hope some, this podcast and, and other people who are trying to take the news, the media and podcasts away from uh, pushing narratives into just having those bigger conversations and, um, yeah. Is, is there any podcasts that you like to listen to for news or, or do you mostly consume sports related stuff? Uh, it's mostly sports. I do follow some people on Twitter that are in the po political realm that I kind of go to. Um, I'm actually, I do like Ben Shapiro. I'm listening to him. So I kind of, some of those people I do follow on Twitter and, and get their ideas and thoughts, but most of it's sports. Yeah. Oh, I mean, don't, don't, don't get like, look, I, I think one of the reasons why I'm apprehensive to uh, I don't I don't I guess I just don't listen to to Ben Shapiro enough. I've got a buddy who's who's told me like, hey, man, this is this is what I listen to. And like the, one of the reasons why he really likes Ben Shapiro is because he condenses everything into like an hour long podcast right. pretty much daily. Um, and I will give Ben um, or Mr. Shapiro, whatever the hell you, heck you want to call him. I'll give him credit for this. He's one of the best people at live reads like. He just, yeah. he'll be in the middle of talking about something, shoot through the live read, and I'll be like, oh man, I didn't even notice I just listened to a commercial. So I'll give him props for that. I think he does a good job of kind of 
selling whatever he's he's selling uh, for his advertisers without sounding so uh, pedantic as, as a lot right. of as I would if I was doing it. But <laughs> um, all right, is there anything from politics that you would like to uh, talk about a little bit more? Breaking news or anything like that, or Trump stuff, Biden stuff. Well, what do you think about all these the shutdown again? Oh man, I've gotten pretty vocal on Twitter in the last day because I got I got super frustrated. Uh, I'm not a big fan of lockdowns. I think it's inhumane. I think it's ridiculous. Um, I, I just it's it's hard for me to look at the reality of what we know about the statistics around the the virus and to say that just it justifies telling people to close their businesses. It justifies contract tra- contact tracing people. I don't think that we are cattle. I we are human beings. I don't really believe in the necessity of governance at all. I, I think humans, like I trust in humanity enough. I think people are good enough that I will build relationships with people to help me feel more secure in my environment. Like I just moved back to Michigan. I don't know a lot of people here because I, I haven't lived here for 10 years, but it is my old hometown. And I am, I'm meeting new people. I'm introducing myself to my neighbors. And yeah, it, there's anxiety in that. You know, you don't want to bother somebody if they're just out hanging out in their yard or whatever. But as you take those steps and you build your own community, you find more comfort and more security in knowing that like either you're going to evaluate them and determine if you need to be locking the door or if it's somebody who you can ask to hang on to a spare key for you, you know, things like that. Right. Um, so I guess I just, I don't want the mommy state of, of a government because I don't trust the people that have been in place in our government throughout my life. I mean, it's amazing to me the fact that every single president of my life in America has started wars. Right. And I've always been against wars because who, I'm sorry, what? We're going to go over there and kill people because of oil, or we're going to go inject our political ideologies on people like if if there's another country that is trying to you know break into another country that happens to be a break in or go you know pillage another country that happens to be an ally of of ours or whatever or is just not the aggressor then i'm okay with the idea of using our military strength to go help support and protect people and things like that that seems reasonable but living through the WMD crap and, and every other reason that we've been fed for why we're going to, into a war or to, a lot of it's malarkey finding out that we've got military personnel protecting poppy fields, which is essentially heroin over in Afghanistan. And, and then we have a heroin epidemic start up in the United States that almost runs in kind with that timeline. It's just like, so wait a minute, you're connecting military going over to a foreign country occupying land um stealing a drug trade and then at the same time people back home are getting poisoned by drugs that have been prescribed to them by people who they trust in their doctors who instead of offering uh better health options like cbd uh cannabis things that you literally from everything I've researched, I'm not a doctor, do not, you know, all that kind of caveats. Okay, you can't, 
it can't really hurt you. At least, you know, it's not going to kill you. You know, you can take too many Tylenols or Advils and it'll kill you. Whereas like, it's just, it's frustrating that we have so much corruption in our institutions that the things that can help people be healthy or can help people deal with pain are not utilized because ultimately they can't be monetized. Whereas we'll give them things that poison them, tell them it's going to help them make them healthier. And then they create an addiction. And then the things that would help wean them off of the addiction, a, which do your own research, but things like maybe Kratom, um, those are demonized in a lot of states or illegalized or illegal in a lot of states. Whereas you can still go to your doctor and get a prescription for freaking heroin. And that means like, I'm pretty like Percocet stuff like that. Like that's all just a derivative of heroin, I believe. So, and I don't know, I'm not a pharmacist. So, but you know, I, it's just, it, that's what frustrates me. The corruption, the lack of common sense in regards to our, our healthcare policies, our foreign our foreign war policies and our relationship with the military, our relationship in regards to how we subsidize oil companies and big business, but then can't afford to actually go after big business to disrupt their corrupt practices that lead to healthcare costs being so high that we can't offer um, good healthcare to people. I'm going to, sorry, I know I've been rambling. I'm going to share one quick healthcare story with people and hopefully it doesn't get me in what, whatever, here it is. I got sick one time after not having healthcare a couple of years ago. I got to the point where I was like, I've got to go to the emergency room. I don't have healthcare, but I don't care. I'm going to, and when I went in and I talked to somebody, I said to the lady, I am poor. I don't have any money and I don't have any insurance. And she was like, don't worry about it. And I said, no, I just want you want to make sure you hear me. I am poor. I don't have any money and I don't have any health insurance. She goes, I heard you. It's okay. We're going to take care of you. If you go to an emergency room in America, there, I don't, I've never heard of anybody really getting turned away. Maybe, maybe they do. I don't know, but I've never heard of that. And if you get treated, they're going to send you a bill. But a lot of the times, if you're willing to play the system, you can pay what you can afford or what they believe you can afford. So when they finally sent me that bill, it, there was itemized and it said it was like $2,500 or $4,500. I don't remember the exact of what... I was supposed to have to pay, but it said at the bottom of the bill, if you pay $150 right now, you don't have to worry about it. It's done. It's taken care of. What did I do? I found 150 bucks and I paid that bill right away to say, you know, I don't want debt collectors coming to me. I don't want to get put in a situation where if you have medical bills, you can't, you can't get a, a house loan because they're, Apparently that's a thing in Michigan. I just learned last night at the, uh, just had a conversation with my buddy at the bar. Um, so I'm not suggesting you go and get yourself in medical debt, but if you can negotiate, then it's not necessarily, there are pathways to, uh, playing the system, I guess, or playing within the corruption. I don't know if you yeah. have any takes on any of that stuff. No, I think that's, I think you're spot on. Now, now a lot of people would hear that story and they'll go, "Oh, yeah, but I'm paying that. That you're paying 150, and then I'm paying whatever you've left off in that." And it's like, really? You so so I'm the problem, not the corrupt system of overcharging in insurance, overcharging for healthcare. The fact that the the hospitals will charge 
$16 for a Q-tip for one of them, you know, things like that. Like, it's just, you're getting the, 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 the crap runs downhill. And unfortunately the people they can take advantage of, they will take advantage of. And that just shows me too, how much more we need education where people are showing how to deal with the systems we have. And I don't think our education in America teaches people how to deal with the systems we have. Yeah, but I have a question for you. So what would be the difference between a hospital and let's say Nike trying to make money? It just depends on what kind of exploitation we're talking about. Like, you know, does Nike have little kids making their shoes over in some foreign country and then they're selling them here for an absurd amount? Like, I... I would hope our media would be covering that stuff to expose it. But like it's, if you want access to Nike, you're not going to do a negative story on them. So if you're into shoe and sneaker stuff, it's not going to benefit your, your career to go after one of the bigger producers of the things that you cover. Um, and Also, what I think a lot of people don't realize is like, it's, it's, if you actually decided to go after these billion, billion dollar industries, they can go after you too. And they have a lot more money to prove or to get you to shut up. And it doesn't have to be some kind of threat. It can just be a call, you know, it could be a call to your employer because what if the, 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 the magazine you write for or the outlet you write for, for gets advertising money from, from that particular place. Right. So I don't know if that really answered your question, but I hope it did. It did. Um, anything else politically that you would like to talk about brother? No, I think we're good. <laughs> I think we covered a lot. Thanks for letting me ramble there. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, Derek, I'm going to jump us into some religion, spirituality. What is your spiritual journey been like through your life? Uh, did you grow up with certain beliefs and have they changed over time? So I grew up in a, I call it a semi-Christian home. My mom took us to church and she's a big Christian and uh, just other people in my family were not. So I've always had Christian values, um, but then... When I got into college, my early years of college, I kind of did my own thing for a while, but um, the Lord brought me back. And so now actually my wife and I were, our titles are urban missionaries here in Phoenix. We work with the local churches and local high schools to try to, mostly it's actually pretty cool. Most of the stuff we do is through basketball. So we're able to to train kids and coach kids and, and teach them. And then, you know, with us, we try to give them that, that Christian principles and values. Um, through the game of basketball. That's right, dude. Um, have you had any just have you had any like a uh, local sports stars kind of get involved with y'all in in any re- respect? We've had in the past. Um, so the organization I work for is called Madhouse, which stands for Make a Difference House. And I was actually a student of it. And when I was a student, we did have quite a bit. And then the early years that I helped on, uh, we had some come down and kind of to share with us so we've had some in the past not recently but in the past we've had some no it just sounds like a a cool 
organization and and way to kind of get your message out so it, it sounds like something that would attract a lot of people um is there is there a website for it that people can go check out or anything like that yeah it is called madhouseministries.com and that kind of just explains who we are and, and what we do here in, in phoenix and we're actually um have some stuff overseas too right now that's rad and to be clear anything that i say on this podcast is in no way a reflection of Derek. So don't judge him. <laughs> don't judge him based on my crazy, uh, my crazy ideas or how I go about life. Um, well then, uh, I guess, you know, I don't, don't really have to get too deep into like college. I think everybody understands what you mean by that. Um, do you, uh, do you pray? Yes. Yeah. Pray a lot. Um, I am a big believer Everything I have a biblical worldview, so everything that I do um, comes through what the Bible says, and I do believe it's it's truth. I believe that it's literal. I don't believe that it's just stories made up. So I am praying to I pray to you know the God of the Bible through Jesus Christ. So yeah, and we you know we pray as a family for dinner and, and, and different things like that. Um, I think that something. I think some people might be. Uh, like they might be a little bit nervous about trying to pray. Do you mm. just because it's like, well, how do I pray? What do I say? Do I, do I, I don't want to offend God if I start talking toward or at or whatever. Um, is, uh, do you think you use kind of like route prayers or, or, uh, um, what is a good way to put it? Um, not ritualistic necessarily, but like traditional prayers, or do you feel like it's more of a conversation between you and God in regards to your challenges or your hopes or, uh, your, what you would ask in regards to God helping to protect your family and loved ones and things like that, or to just guide the world better. I get what, what kind of stuff, if you, if you don't mind, do you, pray about or in what ways do you pray and and i ask this more of like a from a perspective of giving people more of a peace of mind about if they were wanted to try to start praying themselves yeah so for me because you know i've been following jesus for years but my, our the way i pray it's like you said it's basically just conversation just throughout the day of you know if I, and we tried to i do this with my kids if we see an ambulance or a fire truck or, or you know a police with their lights on we pray, okay, we pray for if someone was hurt or someone potentially get hurt, we pray for that situation. Um, and then we just pray for, like for me, most of the stuff is praying that, you know, because I do believe in Jesus, it's praying for me to get out of the way and let Jesus work in anything I do. Because quite frankly, I'm just, you know, I'm a human being that doesn't match up to the creator of the world. But I would suggest for people that if they're starting to pray, um, you know, pray that the God of the Bible reveals himself to them um, and then, you know, work from there. Because the more I learn about God, the more I can pray, the deeper I can pray and the things I can pray about. Um. So something that always frustrated me as a younger man was this idea of their like this guilt that I thought I had to carry around with me. Um. So do, do you have a perspective that you can share? Um, all right. I guess I would. Like when you say, you know, uh, getting out of my own way, um, I think it's important to acknowledge that like we can, we can be at fault or we can, 
Um, I don't, I don't love the idea of original sin. I don't love the idea that like we are inherently this or that. Um, because there, I do want a level of self. I, I personally like the idea of self-determination, the idea that I can make myself better, the, the idea that I can change. Um, the, but to a lot of people, the idea of putting that on God is, and I don't want you to take offense if I describe something in a in a poor way. That's just my lack of uh, words. But like, um, like to say, like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it up to God, or I need to, you know, emulate this or or that. Like, sometimes it, I think people might take it and sound like you're almost self-deprecating in a in too too ardent of a way, whereas looking at you and talking to you right now, it, that's not the way that, um, it's not, that's not the way it felt to me. Is there, I guess what I'm trying to get across is like, is there a way to acknowledge that you have room to grow, that you are not a perfect being without being self hating? Because, one of my favorite lyrics from a band, not a surf is uh, to find someone you love. You have to be someone you love. And like, if you're not loving yourself, then you're going to be maybe more uh, the worst, a, a worse version of yourself. Right. And and so for me, um, just based off of uh, the Bible and the biblical worldview is the, for us, the standard um, according to the Bible is perfection and we're not perfect. And the beautiful part of it is, is I don't have to sit there. Um, and like you said, I don't have to have guilt over my life and say, well, I'm not perfect. I'm never going to mount. Um, when we, the gap between us and God is, is so vast because we're not perfect, but that's where Jesus fills it in. And that's where I say, when I want to get out of my way, um, like I, I've never really had a great male role model in my life. Um, I've never really had someone to teach me how to be a father or to teach me how to be a a good husband. And so when I follow Jesus, he teaches me the best husband I can be, or he teaches me how to be the best father I can be. So, uh, so for me, you know, I have a lot of anger issues. Um, and there's been some things, you know, I've punched doors and, and screamed and stuff. And I don't want to do that because that's me coming out. Um, and we've seen it through the Bible that Jesus's perfection could come through us. And now I can love my family better and love my wife better. And, and this is just my opinion because I do believe it, but we become the best we we can become by following Jesus. I'm the best employer I can become. I'm the best husband and father and friend and son because everything that I just said has biblical principles to teach us to be better at those things. Do you, uh, what'd you study in, in college? Christian ministries. Okay. So I went, so I originally it was Christian ministries. And then when I started to do my own thing, I actually changed my major five separate times. And then I started Christian ministries and ended with Christian ministries. What'd you, what'd you dabble in, in between? Um, education, business. And I tried it. I wanted to get into like sports marketing. Okay. Um, groovy. Is there any other stuff, uh, religion wise or? spirituality that you would like to talk about brother no is there any is there any questions you have because i know one of my biggest um enjoyments in life is to talk religion and, and 
apologetics. And so I love getting some of the hard questions and being able to, to see if there's an answer. So if there's anything else that. No, man, I, you know, I, I grew up going to Catholic, uh, church down the road, uh, in my hometown. And it's just, my parents worked so much that it eventually became like, it just wasn't something that we did consistently. It became more of going to, uh, you know, mass on Christmas, you know, the midnight mass, things like that, um, or different, you know, going on Easter. Um, and then as I got into my teen years, I became very much an atheist or agnostic than an atheist because I couldn't wrap my head around the dichotomy of like science that I'm being taught in school versus religion that, you know, where, where do you find the, the balance between evolution and God or, um, things like that. Um, one thing that's made me more open-minded to religion or spirituality is what I kind of lean into uh, as I've gotten older is just the more I felt like I'm, I'm more comfortable not knowing things. I'm more comfortable with the, like, I, 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 I strive for knowledge. I like to learn about stuff. I like to be informed. Um, but the more I, uh, got really into the weeds of a lot of things, the more I realized like you can only know so much, you can only remember so much, you can only impact so much and stuff like that. So to me, spirituality has become being okay with not, not knowing things. Um, and also kind of focusing more on the present, especially in regards to my emotional reactions to things. When I find myself getting into a state of mind that I don't think is me or is, isn't the kind of person that I want to be, where I feel like my ego is getting the best of, of, of where I'm steering myself in a given moment, it's, it's a lot easier these days for me to kind of throw it up and be like, I'll just take really deep breaths. I breathe deep a lot, man, um, because I feel like I am breathing in the spirit. You know, if you stop breathing, you're done. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and I've kind of become more esoteric in my religious ideas. I I've shared on the podcast a couple episodes ago that I'm more of a sun worshiper than anything, and that's just the common sense kind of perspective of when I look around and people say that they believe in a higher power or something bigger than themselves. I'm like, well, I can see the sun right there. And, um, and then I, I like a lot of the etymological linguistic stuff in regards to like, well, is that the sun or is that the son of God? And is there a connection between Jesus Christ the the story of that person the son um and i that's just what makes me connect with a higher idea or a greater a greater energy in the universe where it's like if that sun goes out we're done like that's kind of like you know that's that's god to me in a lot of respects um and also I've become open-minded to astro theology type stuff, astrology mixed with religious text and how the stars and the moon and the sun 
and religious texts can help us come to a better understanding of our world, of who we are as people. Um, uh, I've always wanted to be a, a writer. So I've, I've always appreciated how stories can help us develop and evaluate ourselves and, and come to understand ourselves better within creation, the Godhead, however it is a lot of people like to me, in many respects, a lot of the, like the different names of God is, I don't think people should let that make them feel like they can't look at something bigger than themselves. And I'm not even, I'm not even saying you have to like worship or pay whatever to it, but like, I guess I just lean on the sun because it's a, it's something that I feel like is a common sense thing in regards to its power. And it's, it's what it does here on earth. So that's my perspective at this time of my life. And I'm sure it'll change in the next year. <laughs> no, that's good. But ultimately, I, I mean that when I, when I'm man, I, I've, I've said it here before, but like, I just, I like going out and sitting in the sun. I think it's fills me with love and, and I do, I ask the sun for stuff, almost pretending that it's God, because I personally right now, I'm not emotionally like, I can't, I can't invest in a lot of my old Christian or Catholic. Um, I just, I don't feel comfortable investing in that stuff because I don't feel genuine in it. Um, and I'm afraid to even call one of the reasons why I asked you how you pray or, or, and stuff is because I'm like, I'm afraid to call out to entities, energies. If you believe that this is a, if you're, if you have more of a scientific bend to creation and you think it is vibration, string theory type stuff where everything is just energy, then I am worried that singing the song or the name of God, especially if I don't have the right name to call out to in existence, that I might be welcoming back energies that I shouldn't onto me. Sorry, I, I, this is the spirituality stuff that I like to ruminate on. Um, and I don't, maybe I'm just missing a step there because maybe I would find more peace of mind, more happiness, um, a place to let myself have a family, even though that's not necessarily where I think my personal journey is going um, these days. If I was able to allow myself to start praying to God, because what if as someone who's super open-minded about all this stuff, what if I started asking God for stuff and it started to come true or it started to happen? The intellectual in me would say, well, maybe that's just a coincidence. But then again, I'm open-minded to think like if there is a God and like, I would want to be open-minded to think that the things I'm praying for and asking for might come true. I mean, there's a reason that we can all sing to each other in vibrations and communicate and help express our love. And I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. I, I may not have shared too lucid of a perception of what I think about the world, but that's where I'm at right now. No, it, do you, now do you think that, you know, having that Catholic background has kind of put you, I wouldn't say put you off, but kind of 
you not want to go back because you know how it was before that you kind of want to explore something else? Um, I think I also just, I have a frustration with institutions. So like okay. if the two of us were out hiking, well, here's the other thing. Like a big part of me doesn't like the, the delineation of saying like, you have to worship this name of God or, or this or that. Like to me, what really matters is the love in someone's heart and how compassionate they are to others or how understanding they are to others and things like that. Because like, regardless of what anybody might think of my, my religious perspective, I would hope that at the end of the day, if you had a conversation with me, you would come out realizing like, you know, when I'm, when I'm speaking to the universe, when I'm meditating or whatever, I'm desperately hoping for a more balanced world and one where people are safe and there's more love in it and less corruption and less pain and frustration. That That's what I want. So when beyond that, I don't, I personally don't, I don't care what people call it as long as their intentions are pointed towards being good to other people. Okay. So how, and that's where like, I, where, how do we become good towards other people? Yo, yo. Yeah, we're good. Sorry about that. I don't know what just happened. You, dude, you know what might happen? I might've hit mute over here. So, all right. I've oh, got okay. the time. I've got the tar time marker written down. Um, I don't know exactly where you were at to be completely honest. Oh, I was talking about, um, now do you have time? Cause I know you got to run and we're at hour it, 10. We're good. We're good, dude. Okay. This is great. Um, that the, I don't believe in evolution. So I don't believe um, that we've came from, you know, some organism or single cell organism or whatever, but if evolution is true and the theory of evolution is true, which says, you know, essentially only the strong survive, then where do we get love and compassion from that? Cause that's my um, biggest fight against evolution is some of the things that we've seen in the world. It's acceptable under evolution just because the opposite party Right. Isn't strong enough for, or, or, or right. I mean, and I don't want to offend anybody and, and, but according to evolution, slavery is okay. Right. Because it's all survival of the fittest type stuff. Right. So that group of people, and it doesn't have to be any, it doesn't have to be any other people, but it has to be, there's two groups, the slaves and the, and the owners of the slaves. And if the slaves aren't strong enough to survive, whose fault is that? Um, I, well, we know that slavery still exists in, right. in some, or at least we're told that it does. I haven't actually witnessed slavery. I've seen pictures that I've been told there's slave markets over in Libya, or, you know, we've been told that there's all this human trafficking going on throughout the world. When the, there's definitely been a, a larger prevalence of reports in regard to human trafficking, even if the mainstream media doesn't necessarily right, right. cover it, which is just beyond bizarre. Beyond bizarre. And um, because you would think that human trafficking would be something where everybody would look around and go, yeah, it's bad. Let's get rid of that. Um, uh, you know, dude, I don't really uh, I, I don't really believe in evolution. Okay. I even, you know, I just as someone who that's as I've gotten more spiritual and I've looked at I go back and I say, if we can't trust the media right now, yeah. 
today and the the amount of bs corruption out there like it look dudes from my perspective this is me talking not to you but to like anybody listening to the podcast if our governments are going to sell wmds fake ones to get us to go to war if they're going to use oil and other crap like all these different very corrupt reasons for going and doing the most horrific stuff in the in the world then it is not that hard to think that they would lie to you about things like and here's 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 the key if i say lie to you about climate change it's lie to you from a certain perspective to take advantage of the lie to yeah. to exploit and like if people are willing to use a war to exploit other people, whether that's to lead to slavery or to uh, steal certain resources from a uh, another society, and they're they're going to justify it. Like right. these are the leaders we want to lean into. I don't know about that. No, I'm good. Um, and it's I think it's really hard for a lot of people to entertain the idea that many of the things we've been told to fear over the years are just being manipulated to extort right. people who are, I don't even want to say gullible, but just good people who don't want to believe that the world is a essentially a hellscape of lies, which again, as someone who's not religious, I kind of look at a lot of our world today and I say, wow, the God of lies, Lucifer really does kind of rule over earth. Like everything's we're being lied to about everything or at least the people in power right now are lying so much that they are potentially acolytes uh you know who say like it's just we live in such a a, a world of lies that it does make me open-minded to some of the biblical explanations of stuff that's like to me what's hilarious is a lot of people who believe in climate change and push it as this like world ending type level thing you're essentially selling a flood narrative while saying you believe in science. Right. And yet you would decry anybody who would try to tell you the story of Noah, right. you know? Right. And it's just like, do you not see how, how disingenuous your logic is? Like either both things are possible, which, or, or they're not. It's in, and, and I know that's not as, I know that's not, clearly defined it but that's kind of the way i look at a lot of stuff i just if that's like and the other thing about climate change stuff like use common sense if they can't predict what the weather's going to be like today <laughs> right, right you think they know what it's going to be like 30 years from now <laughs> right and then look who started selling you all these narratives al gore a politician <laughs> one of your politicians ever been there to be like to warn you about anything no, no, no. They're going to take advantage of the crisis to exploit you. Right. That's my perspective. No, and I agree. And that's what I was thinking because in Phoenix, we've had one of the hottest summers ever. And so they keep showing the records of the dates. And I'm like, it's the hottest it's ever been in Phoenix since 1947 or something. I'm like, I thought climate change would kind of, you know, if it was every year it was getting, then maybe you have some sort of evidence, but it's like, Man, it has been this hot in 55 years. Why are we freaking out about it now? Well, and anybody who's pushing fear, I don't like it. That's yeah. why, like, 
you know, if, if somebody's, you know, that's why like cult leaders try to sell the whole doomsday narrative all the right. time or whatever. Right. Um, to me, if, if there is like, you know, you don't have to have, ah, whatever. I, now I'm getting, I'm getting into the weeds of like spirituality mixed with our perception of reality and essentially say like Ragnarok, the end of days, uh, uh, revelations, stuff like that. It doesn't have to be a literal thing in my perspective. I understand for a lot of people it is, but for me, it can be like a cultural shift of perspective. Um, and there's, there might be just a lot of allegory in, if you want to understand exactly what this all means, it is, it may not even be like this world sweeping thing in physical reality as much as it's more of a, a spiritual um, revelation kind yeah. of whatever. Yeah. Just, just my perspective, but I've also shared some very probably ideas that people are like, those are super conflicting. You <laughs> you're, you know, well, it's like, well, I don't know. I've never, you know, I'm just sharing my perspective and how how convoluted the 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 different narratives we are given in this world can I think you have to have a nuanced at least willingness to be wrong. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Um hey brother, I got three more questions for you to end the show. Okay. okay. Um there are uh, I always want to end the show on, on good vibes. What makes yeah. you happy or how do you maintain or find happiness, Derek? Well, um, I will say that Jesus makes me happy. Um, one of my favorite Bible verses says that we have an inexpressible joy. Um, and so that I have this joy in my life. And then, so my wife and I, are, we are urban missionaries. We, we live in a, I wouldn't say the worst neighborhood, but we live in a pretty tough neighborhood in Phoenix and, we have our little kids out running around. It's just, you know, there's been a few killings right around our house, but there's this, there's this joy that we have because we do know Jesus that it's just, we're in God's will and that's where I want to be. So that's what makes me happy. But besides that, it's my family loving on my kids and then uh, ice cream and basketball. <laughs> Good answers. Um, do you, okay. So you say you live in a, pretty rough neighborhood that's you know it's it's i give you props for having the courage to have your family there being you know a light in a in a dark spot there one of the biggest things i believe in uh politically is the idea that like we should go to the worst places and put yeah. put good things there you know right. Right. go to a rough neighborhood and put a really good playground in right. that allows kids to go play safe you know um during the summer here in, in my hometown, we, you go to the, you go to the park, they bring food to the park for any of the kids that are there. And it's like, I think a lot of kids don't even realize it, but like, if you need food, you can go over there and get some right. like that's, and that's beautiful that that's yeah, that available to kids who may be going through a rough home life where their parents just, their parents had a, a rough home life and they don't know how to take care of them. Right. Um, and you kind of shared that you said like you're, you're learning how to be a father or to be, you know, essentially teaching yourself how to be the kind of father that you want to be or the kind of husband that you want to be. Cause you felt like 
I'm just trying to reiterate what you said earlier. You felt like you didn't have necessarily the, the best uh, examples of that, maybe. Right. Yeah. Um, another question. What are your hopes for the world or the future? Oh, man. So many. Um, honestly, my hope would be that we kind of just come to to understand who the God of the Bible is. And that's, for me, that's the best way that we can honestly genuinely love each other is that we know God because the Bible says that God is love. So the best way I can love on my neighbor and honestly, for me, in my opinion, that's our only hope is just that God's love can. Living in a little bit tougher of a neighborhood. Do you, do you still like, I just, it frustrates me to feel like people think that maybe people don't, I keep saying, I believe people, most people are good. And I love to reiterate that because where I walk in my life, the things I've done, 90, like 90% of people, 95, 99% of people try to help. Right. You know, it's, you have to be guarded and understand what situations not to walk into, but that's, that's a reality of living in a high, high density place or, or, or just realizing that some people don't have enough self-love and they are willing to take things from other people. Um, but like walking around your neighborhood and stuff like that, I guess what's your, what's your interactions like with most people in your neighborhood or, or the coffee shops you stop at or whatever it might be? Oh, it's, it's great. You know, we try to love on people and say hi. We know our neighbors and talk to our neighbors and, We've had, you know, we've had different things. A lot of, we've had stuff stolen from our backyard or police looking for a neighborhood and they're in the next door neighbor's house. You know, we've had different things like that. But, you know, for us, you know, with the biblical worldview is that we are the light. Um, that's what we're going to do. So we're going to go on and, you know, a couple of the high schools that I help coach at, some of their coaches are just, um, they're just really mean and they'll, they don't mind cussing kids out and, making them look foolish. So when I come in, if I don't, if I don't make them any better at basketball, I don't care as long as they know that I'm there to encourage them and to make them feel, you know, to make them feel like it's okay that you threw a turnover. And so those schools are right down the street. So I have a lot of interaction with our kids and our students just to kind of show them, you know, Jesus has changed, transformed my life. And this is how I'm going to act now. And hopefully that, you know, I can be shown to them. Um, is it kind of cool of you, uh, to have Monty Williams as the Suns head coach, knowing that he has a big spiritual aspect of his life? Yeah, it is. And I do love Monty. I think he's a great basketball coach besides that. I do. But yeah, I think it's pretty cool that he's able to share that being in the spot that he's in. Yeah. And it's also some of the tragedy that he's lived through the fact that he still seems to exude this like very loving energy when you see him talking to the media and stuff like that. Um, well, you're definitely a player coach. So GMs take note, Derek, Derek Gossard (laughs) is a, uh, is a player's coach. Uh, That's big in the NBA these days. Uh, final question is, do you have any other questions for me, brother? Yeah, I do have two questions, two basketball questions. Who's the greatest of all time, Jordan or LeBron? Oh, geez. Giannis. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. That's Giannis, awesome. Stanley Johnson, and uh, Andre Blotch, and then we'll get to Jordan and LeBron. No, okay, that's good. 
Um, I still think Jordan's the the better player, and I think that it's just dude six straight championships in the you know essentially you know. Right. Um, it's hard to get it's hard to get past that, and um. But yeah, no, I I hope I yeah yeah I it's it, they're both amazing. I yeah. guess, you know, like I, that's just it. Like, I hate that. That sounds like some kind of, uh, attack on LeBron. Right. Um, right. Because even if I think he's a corny dude and he's not my kind of superstar, um, I, I can acknowledge how amazing he is at the sport, you know, and like how great it is to be the kind of player that he is in his body and, it's just there's certain things that he can do with his size and his ability to handle the ball. And even if it is more of a rudimentary handle than what you would see, a, you know, a Kyrie or a, a Curry use, it's still amazing that a man at six, six, nine, six, ten can do the things that he can do and move with the ball and, and be both a power and finesse player. It's, right. it's everything that you want out of watching basketball and professional sports. So it's, I don't want to, degrade LeBron as a basketball player now. Yeah. So, um, all right. Uh, another question. You had another question, didn't you? Yeah. Okay. So I'm in a 10 team keeper, uh, two person keeper league, nine category. I got to choose between John wall, Deandre Ayton, Kyrie or LeBron. Who do I go with? I got to pick two of the four. Um, you said this is head to head. Yep. Nine category and the ninth category is double double. Oh, so um, leaning eight. Uh, you've got to pick two of them. Yep. I mean, I, I wouldn't trust John Wall right now. But yeah. is is there anything like you drafted them at a certain place and no, you? No, it's just flat out. You got to keep two. And then you don't essentially. That's the your first two round picks. Right. 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 Um. <laughs> You're making the same faces I make when I try it. I think Aiton's an obvious one, and it's yeah. not. It's not because of um. I'm mean, essentially oh sugar plums. I was gonna say, well, you go Aiton and you go LeBron, and then you just maybe not worry about free throw percentage that much. But Aiton's a good enough free throw yeah. percent shooter, or you know, has the ability to shoot a high enough free throw percentage. Unfortunately for for Aiton, he doesn't get to the line much, right, which right. is. So that's that's gonna. I mean, you kind of would maybe need to just kind of not worry about free throw percentage, uh, but I would I would most likely be taking those two guys just because I I also don't I don't trust Kyrie to stay healthy, right? Um, and that's that's kind of it. Even you know everybody wants to continue to look at LeBron and be like, well, he's gonna be older next year. He's gonna sit out more games and stuff like that. And it's like he doesn't he tries not to a right. lot of the time, you know, we had that one situation a couple of years ago where he sat out 10 games just to get rest. But you're like, well, I, he also, he always wants to play his minutes. Right. You know, LeBron, like I, it seems like he almost tells his coaches, like I'm playing 36 minutes a night, you know, <laughs> yeah. 30, which is not, I mean, how many players actually play 36 plus minutes a night? Like right. 10. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm pretty certain that I would end up going with LeBron. And if it was a rotisserie league, I'm, I'd probably go Kyrie and, and Aiton. 
Yeah. And, uh, but then again, is it a situation where you could maybe look at pairing? Like, is there somebody who just has terrible keepers and, or, you know, I've I've looked it up and I've tried, but they're just, some of those guys aren't into it yet. Yeah. Especially with like fantasy football, they're more into that. So I'm just like, all right, we'll see, you know, maybe when the season gets a little closer. Cause it would be, well, you know, I mean, you're getting, you're getting a lot of point guard stats from the LeBron situation. Right. Right. Um, so for head to head, it's, it's hard to, to really knock the idea that you're, you're having Aiton and LeBron as your first two picks. I think like, that's, that's where they're going to go is in those, you know, neither one of them is going to go later than the second round. Um, so yeah, it's kind of where I would sit with it. Yeah. That's where I was laying. So I appreciate it. Yeah. No problem, brother. I I'm, I'm happy to confirm, uh, your already intelligent thoughts. All right. Um, (laughs) but, uh, all right, brother. Uh, thank you so much for doing this, man. It's, it was a lot of fun for me. I appreciate your perspective and being willing to be open and all that. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening. I am Kyle in the queue and you can find me on Twitter at Roto Kyle NBA. And I was joined today by Derek Gossard, who you can find on Twitter at, do you want to tell him where Derek? At DGoss30. All right, brother. Thank you so much for doing this. Anybody who listens or listens, rates, reviews, or subscribes to the podcast, uh, I will come and help you pass out candy, um, even though it's going to be past Halloween now. So uh, I don't know if anybody's going to show up. Um, So if that doesn't happen, I will just do my first promise, which was to help you sharpen your knives. Um, yeah, so please rate, review, subscribe to us. Uh, if you can support, be a producer of the show, you can do so on PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App at Kyle McEwen. 16 is my username. You can also subscribe on Patreon at patreon.com slash FRB. DGoss30, Derek Gosser, thank you so much for being on the show, brother. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. I love you. Keep tugging at our heels, watch us high step and be a highlight reel of how high we get. The ghost riders off the ramp, how we live defies death. Put our conscience in the genre box, stamp a certified fresh. Bad boys beyond G depths, you couldn't fathom what we plan to do next. Turn the music on his head, power bomb a suplex. Minds like duplex, that's a damn good dope duel. Don't forget the double check. Couple outcasts that'll hit you like a Smith and West. Turn up the speakers in the headsets, protect your necks. Yoga flame on this track, like rappers better stretch or get burned. Put your ashes in the urn, try to claim a weave. Earn. You gon' learn today, kid we don't play You'll get wrecked if you beat all day Peep the speech, we beat G-R-A-Y theory, make a way you get steamrolled paved in the streets, go auto Give us and take us, man, move us and shake us, we know Give us and take us, man, move us and shake us, we know Give us and take us, man, move us and shake us, we know Take them haters like elevators and ride them to the top Take them haters like elevators and ride them to the top Take them haters like elevators and ride them to the top I know small ones and new ones, fun ones and cold ones Bug ones and bold ones, thug ones can sold some It's really about the ones that stood the ground and held out Shelled a couple bucks and some just to be out Found many can't be trusted, but hate is uncontrollable Cause sometimes the right thing ain't the right thing to do And some rhymes with a punchline strike like Sun Tzu Primetime Royal Rumble, Rain of Fire, one crew Great! We keepin' it jazzy, beat so hard I bet it
it's twisting your chassis Pass me the rello as I bring you up a level Find your soul inside the treble Base opinions on your own devils Wrestle with your ego just to make you feel special Revel in the dopeness Take them haters like elevators and ride them to the top. Take them haters like elevators and ride them to the top.